You are listening to the Roberta Glass True Crime Report, putting the true back in true crime. From New York City, Roberta Glass is now on the record. Keith Ranieri was convicted on all charges, including sex trafficking, forced labor, conspiracy, human trafficking, and multiple counts of racketeering, including one count of sexual exploitation of a child on June 19, 2019. His sentencing is set for October 27th of this year. I attended much of his trial and nearly all of his hearings and will be in attendance for his sentence. Ranieri has directed from behind bars his devotees to rebrand themselves first as a prisoner's family advocate organization, calling themselves the Forgotten Ones or also known as We Are As You. The group danced regularly in front of Ranieri's Brooklyn jail, protesting the COVID freeze on prison visits. They also filmed the prison dance parties for an upcoming documentary, as well as Instagram. Ranieri's minions have surfaced once again as a justice reform group called Make Justice Blind with their own website and emailing the DA's office and showing up in person to drop off a list that they call an affidavit for those that prosecuted Ranieri, asking them to deny or affirm eight statements, starting out with, one, we the prosecutors did not knowingly make any false or misleading statements to the public or media in asking them to explain their answers. Make Justice Blind affidavit was also signed by four prominent people in the wrongful conviction movement, the most famous being Amanda Knox. Make Justice Blind is also opening up a contest to the public where they say they will give $35,000 to the case sleuth who can find the holes in the prosecution's case that convicted Ranieri. To discuss with me this latest Nexium news and rebranding is one of my favorite guests, William Ramsey, author of Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Case, as well as two books on Alistair Crowley. He also has created many documentaries and hosts his own podcast, William Ramsey Investigates. He is also a member of the Bar in Good Standing in the state of California. Welcome, William Ramsey. Roberta, great to be with you again. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks so much for talking to me about this. So first thing is that's very confusing about this is what is an affidavit? An affidavit is a, it's a legal document that's signed by an additional party that verifies its facts. So it's you go to a notary and they stamp it. It's actually a legally binding document, statement of fact. So it's not something that you can just lie about or engage in perjury. It's by, by threat of perjury, you're saying stating these are the facts. So this is an affidavit written by a convicted criminal, delivered by his cult devotees and by email to the district attorney's office, and they demand that, that they sign it. 
or initial each sentence. Right. Trying to explain what this is. It's so confusing. Well, it's confusing because it's such like a, it feels like, and the tone of it is like somebody who's a pro se attorney. (laughs) So it, it clearly doesn't have the kind of gravitas of somebody who, uh, you know, has experience in the law. So it has kind of strange wordings, transgressions. They're asking for transgressions and things like that. But I mean, even just the proffering, it just came out. What's today? Today's the 27th of September. They delivered it on a Friday. So according to court documents, um, they, these were, you know, this at, this questionnaire or whatever was delivered by a group of 10 people to the court and then also by, I think it was by also by mail, right? Or email. 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 email yeah. So it's some group, right? Make justice blind. Right. With has- camera. With a camera. And they also went to Maura Penza. She tried Ranieri. But she's no longer in the district attorney's office. And they went to her office and delivered this. They want her involved now that she has nothing to do with it anymore. Right. And then they have a demand for accountability. They want it no later back by September 30th, 2020. So my question is what? And then what? What happens? They're trying, what they're trying to impute is that the proceedings against Keith Renary were um, done inappropriately. So they're criminal, right? So they're trying to get them to admit to certain statements and then hopefully try to disprove them. So, for example, the first question is, we, the prosecutors, did not knowingly make any false or misleading statements to the public or media. So then if they check that off, then hopefully they're going to try to counter that. Right. And then, and it also has the effect of just by asking the question and they refuse to answer it. They refuse to sign our right. affidavit. It has the appearance that they're right. hedging. They're scared. They're running scared from Keith Ranieri and his cult minions because they don't want to sign their uh, initials to this simple list of transgressions. Right. So they can just put it out on social media, right? Right. And then it has at the end also signed by four different people, three of whom are convicted. I don't know what you want to call Amanda Knox. She was convicted, then she was let go, and then her exonerating decision is so damning that she was there, you know, the scene of the crime. She was bleeding at the same time. Uh, She washed Meredith's blood off her hands. I mean, you know, you just, it's so damning. That's her exonerating decision. No, but she was convicted of calumnia, right? So she definitely was convicted of a crime. Yes. It wasn't the specific crime of the death of Meredith Kircher, but it was a crime. Yes, she's a convicted liar. So that's someone you want on your team, a convicted liar. And the thing that let her go, I mean, to me, she's a uh, exonerated criminal, just like Casey Anthony or O.J. Simpson is exonerated. If you want to call those people exonerated, fine. I don't, I don't know what you want to call them. So for people who haven't seen this letter, it was filed the 26th, right? So it was filed yesterday. It means probably arrived at the court the 25th. Mm-hmm. So September 26th, make justice blind. And then their Twitter account is at blindfold her. And Instagram is at blindfold her with like two or three followers. That when you go to the website, it, it used to say a team, like they actually change it actually today. Right. Because everybody was involved with Nexium. It was Nikki Klein. 
The other one, Michelle uh, Hatchett, who's, you know, named in the Bow documentary as a one of the slave owners of DOS and a slave herself, you know. What was DOS stand for again? It was Dominus. Oh, oh, it doesn't mean Domin- Dominus Osequis, Dominus Slave and Master. I think yeah, that's what that's... it, I was saying it wrong, but it does not mean sla- dominant over slave. It's, but it, it's dominance over Sawikis or whatever. I never took Latin, unfortunately for me. Um, Walter Pavlo, who is a, is a white collar criminal who did 31 months. Um, hold on one second. I wrote down exactly what he did. But it, it's incredible because in the time that we agreed to do this interview this morning or after early afternoon, They've changed that website and right. they took all their names off. Right. Go to their website. It's gone. That's in typical cult fashion. And I think someone on Twitter said, well, at least they to- said who they were for the first time instead of we are as you. There was no mention of the first original group they put together, which was supposed to be a prisoner's advocate organization that danced in front of Keith Ranieri's jail on Fridays. Now they finally said who they were and then took it off, of course. But it's all the same cast of characters we've seen. Um, so Walter Pablo did 41 months. I'm sorry, I misspoke. 41 months uh, for money laundering, wire fraud, and obstruction of justice. Uh, Amanda Knox, her, uh, my listeners will know her background. Valentino Dixon, he did, I think, 27 and a half months out of a 38-year prison sentence for murder. So he started doing these drawings, and that's the story. And I know that Marty Tankluff, uh has something to do with him being freed. So gosh knows what the story behind that is. I don't have a lot of faith in his exoneration if he's putting his name behind Keith Ranieri. And Diana Davidson of The Lighthouse Project, which is a project in Canada to support men who have been falsely accused of rape, I believe or sexual assault, those kinds of things. And very, she's a big, outspoken anti-feminist. You can find her on YouTube, Diana Davidson. So those are the four people who signed their name to this affidavit. And what's so weird about it is there's all these, all this room for all these other signatures, and they just have four there. So there's all this blank space in the grid right after it. So were they really hopeful that they were going to get a lot of people and it kind of puttered out i don't know it's just so strange too and then like the we've talked about tank left he pops up again with this i guess it was the professor mark howard and tank helped get um this character out uh, valentino nick dixon and then he ends up with, with keith uh, keith ranieri defender wow oh that's interesting yeah valentino yeah. dixon so yeah, Marty Tankloff is someone who rings my alarm bells like no other when I hear him speak as someone who I believe, I believe personally, my own personal belief that he's guilty, even though he got himself exonerated in the courts and certainly sued in civil, civil court and won a lot of money from New York state. And he's mentioned in the there's were all these recorded calls between Keith Ranieri and his followers, and he's talking about getting in touch with Marty Tankliff, his followers, um, also getting in touch with Jason Flom of the Wrongful Conviction podcast, right. and 
also wanting to start a kind of podcast, documentary, all the things we've talked about that the wrongful, let's just talk about first of all the characters that he's bringing in. Jason Flom, he wants Nikki Klein to be on the wrongful conviction podcast. He wants to talk to Marty Tancliffe to be a judge in a contest we'll talk about in a, in a second. What other people am I missing? There's just the familiar cast of characters that we're used to in this other side, right? Yeah. Well, I would consider it kind of a threat that they are going to, you know, they're ready, they're gonna there's gonna be a thirty-five thousand dollar innocence challenge, a podcast, and other provocative public actions that bring hidden transgressions to light and send a message to judges, prosecutors, and federal agents that they answer to us, we the people. So yeah. I mean, he's definitely trying to run like a PR operation or so, whoever is. And saying he's the most, and, and he wrote all this. You can see in his prison, you know, attached to his sentencing uh, report, some of these are um, uh, attached to, you know, the most recent documents that have come out regarding this, because what happened was the prosecutors went to the judge and were like, um, look, this just happened. This just got dropped on our desk. And this would be, would this be considered intimidation of the prosecutors? Yeah, I would say it's, in, it's intimidation. It's potentially obstruction of justice because they're trying to intercede in something. I mean, Ranieri's sentencing is October 27th. So it's still the criminal process is still uh, going on. So they've dropped this in between his sentencing where he gets sent off probably to prison. Uh, is what I would expect. So I think that this is kind of their attempt to, you know, throw a wrench in the work, so to speak. And he said also on the phone, I, I want this judge to know he's being watched. Right. That came out before. And what's so interesting is that Ranieri didn't even put on a defense. Yeah. That was his uh... trial. It was the prosecution's case. And then the jury deliberated. So now he wants to start talking about affidavits and and proof and all this kind of stuff. I mean, was this his plan all along to just say the trial was rigged? I didn't participate because it was rigged. Right. So, I mean, it, they're just trying to diminish uh, the whole process. But, I mean, if you read the sentencing guideline, I mean, the government sentencing memorandum, mm -hmm. it's damning. I mean, just fact after fact. And there's tons of information on there. Some of the stuff that I have, I mean... They had the audacity to have, uh, what is it, uh, the the father of the of the the woman. They were like tapping his his computer and getting information. Right? Did you Claire read that Bronfman's part? Claire father. Of Bronfman, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Victor Bronfman, right? Like one of the richest men in Canada. Yeah, brazen. And this comes right before Claire Bronfman's sentencing is 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 Wednesday. But she can't say now that she didn't know how much harm Nexium did. It's right there in that sentencing memorandum. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Woman trapped in a room for two years. Two I years. heard that testimony. I have post-traumatic stress from it. I mean, it's so awful. And then the, to see the HBO, the vow come out. But just basically say, oh, the friendships were so tight, communication, these were great people. Nobody's disputing that there were great people involved in Nexium. What the vow is really saying is it just took a wrong turn because Keith Ranieri was a bit of a perv. 
Yeah, you know, he's not a bit of a perv. He's a heavy-duty perv, and I think it's all laid out there in the, in the sentencing memorandum, memorandum. Blindfolding people, pictures, the collateral's all there, really graphic stuff, like just off the charts. Um, and it actually is super creepy that there is a sequence. They're relating uh, somebody, I think it was Allison Mack, brought somebody to Ranieri in a blindfold, and then the name of their Twitter handle for this whole kind of, you know, thing that they laid out a couple days ago is blindfold her. Like it's a very dark kind of connection. It probably has Keith Ranieri's hands on it, either consciously or subconsciously. It's gross. So, right. Yeah. And I mean, even the DOS thing, like he was selling this, uh, you know, scheme to these people, they would have be slaves, the front line, and then, they would be have their own slaves, and they were working forty hours a week, each one for them, supposedly. Right, readiness drills and yeah. starving themselves on this kind of vegan, yeah. uh, eight hundred calorie diet. So not only is it a super deficient diet, but it's a super deficient diet of protein. And I saw what Allison Mack looked like when she was first coming into court. What Claire Bronfman continue to look like they look gray malnourished a little bit almost like this yellow tint to their skin it's scary looking yeah scary and i mean it's weird in one of the exhibit that affidavit or at least the affidavit within that thing ranieri admits to having a kind of pansexual lifestyle he says he has i'm unmarried have a long number of long-term life committed relationships relationships simultaneously 42 years 30 years 23 22 and a number of more than 15 years that means one two three four at least five women at the same time this generates a tremendous number of questions and a lot of hate in this country like as if other countries probably would that be okay i don't know right it's just it's just we're we're just so puritanical william ramsey but this is also not just her version but he is also a sadist so they had a human-sized cage in the basement this was a perfect match for his love of controlling people, his love of hurting people. So these women were starved, branded, forced to jump into trees. Did you see the sequence where trees. Yeah, he's sitting in a chair clothed, and they're all of the frontline DOS members are naked in front of him. Come on. It's just like total cold, you know, nightmare behavior. It's incredible. And he got to sleep as much as he wanted and eat as much as he wanted all the time and i mean here's the other thing is there's tons of like alien smuggling what they found out is terrible so they're clearly were knowingly breaking the law uh breaking immigration law and things like that faking names fake documents mm-hmm. yeah it's it's i mean the jury at first i didn't think the jury was going to really get it but halfway through the trial they just looked at keith ranieri who was what you say about him sounding trying to make his own legalese is so funny because he wrote non-stop post-it notes through the trial handing them to his lawyers constantly never stopped writing those post-it notes for his lawyers and he seemed to be you know thinking that he was giving sage legal advice and they just looked like more annoyed more annoyed at each note he handed over during the trial but yeah so this is their this is a faint i mean it's incredible that they changed the website already like they must be something going on on social media do you know that people are like this is this is nonsense? I don't know. I know that the Times New Union picked it up and 
you know, I was a little disappointed. They called Amanda Knox exonerated. Ditto Frank report. Use the word exonerated Amanda Knox. I mean, I don't know. For me, this is the perfect place for Keith Ranieri. To me, for what I know about the wrongful conviction movement, it's perfect. And they using the, he wants to use all the same tools they use. Documentaries. They, they never want to argue in court. They never want to argue their case in court. They only want to use the media experts, right. what we call appeal to authority. This is their sad appeal to authority with Amanda Knox and these other people. That's what the appeals, that's what the appeal system is for. You take it to another court and they look over everything that happened at the lower court, all of the documents, and they make a determination. So that's like, if he thinks that the prosecutor's engaged in some type of illegal violation, which he doesn't, you know, he's not using legal terms in this most recent, you know, thing he missed to the court. But, uh, like, for example, in the West Memphis Three, they never, none of the West Memphis Three supporters, either by knowing omission or just because they're dense, they never mentioned the appeal, appealed case that went to the Supreme Court of Arkansas and looked over the lower court and, and said that nothing was wrong. Everything was, they never mentioned that. It's actually not even really mentioned uh, among people who understand the, the meaning of the word guilt. But, um, yeah, this this is... This is like a, a pretty lame shot by Ranieri and Crow. I think that it won't be received well. And also, he also doesn't want to go to the appeals court. He wants to start a contest. So he wants to get offer. First, he said in his emails or conversation, I think it was emails, that he wanted 25000 to give prize of $25,000 and $25,000 for the next big fine someone. So Fifty thousand dollars. So it started off, hopefully fifty thousand dollars. If someone could find two great, you know, transgressions or mistakes or whatever, especially around the the sex trafficking charges, that's what he was really concerned with. So he's looking to the public, and it's very much an attitude that we talked about with Bob Ruff. Forget lawyers. Forget the experts. the The man on the street could do a better job, right? Right. So right. I'm going to appeal Absolutely. to him or her out there and, and the great, it's going to be so American. We'll just, the harder working person will win and find it because it's there. Right. And that's like their, their statement. We, the people, police, the police, <laughs> prosecute the prosecutors, <laughs> judge the judges, investigate the investigators. So I think you're absolutely right. That's their real, that's their real, the gravamen, the crux of what they're trying to say is like, the system's bad. Let the public figure it out, which is really, I mean, he, you've seen so many cases where, you know, the hysterical mob has got it wrong, wrong. And, you know, you have these Pied Pipers like Bob Ruff just leading people down the, down the road, man. Down the road, but didn't, oh, and, and it always involves a kind of conspiratorial mind. Why would they want to, and so the thing that was absent, I thought Keith Ranieri was going to argue I was too powerful, I was changing lives without Big Pharma or something, and I thought that was, you know, but he didn't seem to go really into that yet. I don't know if we're going to wait to hear that, about the conspiracy against him, why all this was done to him, such an ethical, wonderful man. Right, such an ethical, yeah. That's what he used, it's a very like Scientology term. For the girl that he kept in a room for two years was she engaged in ethical violation and he never told her what the violation was too so 
he's deliberately traumatizing her. Well, she's oh, she stole from you know. I think it was like one thing she stole something from some store or something once. It was so terrible. So it, it, the whole thing was so ridiculous. And I mean, the, if you heard that testimony, that was probably the worst. Some of the worst testimony. All of it was horrible. But why one struck me worse than the other? That was two years in a room, no books, no nothing. Hearing your family outside having a life, you know outside the door and having your food being brought to you and then having a rotted tooth in the back of your mouth. That's extremely painful. And the best day of your life is when you get out to get a root canal. I mean, yeah, it's it's a pretty unforgettable testimony. And I guess one thing that the, I just really surprised by people saying, Oh, the innocence project, all these people's good names are being used and all this stuff. And, this is exactly the the right place for Keith. I keep saying it, but the right place for Keith Ranieri is what to be in jail, to be with it, these people in the the Innocence Project and Jason Flom and all. They've been using the media and using these kind of techniques. They you'll never see them in court. They want to use kind of renew investigations that aren't done by <laughs> you know that that sort of miss the whole scope, ignore the evidence and point to a tiny needle instead of point to the giant haystack of evidence. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. It's the same techniques, right? Same techniques in all these cases. Omission, 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 hide the documents. Come up with some type of fake, you know, fake thing that would clearly absolve the person of any guilt, right? Yeah. I was trying to remember the case. What was the case where the guy killed his girlfriend? And supposedly the whole testimony of the woman who said she saw him at the library overcame all the first person accounts of the murder. Oh yeah. Jay showed them where the car was, told them how he did it. (laughs) And that's a really interesting thing that's come to pass. And I keep thinking about, I'm glad you brought that up uh, with Adnan Syed and also making a murder and Stephen Avery is when these, when serial came out and when making a murder came out, People were pouring over every bit of that case, especially serial. When those documents finally hit, it took a while for them finally to get the document, the court transcripts. And when people started going through the court transcripts, all roads led back to Adnan Syed. There was no miscarriage of justice. There was no big, there was no one else they've even blamed consistently. You know, they ha- they can't have a, another story that makes any sense that, makes any sense besides Adnan Syed in that. So they just sort of peter out. It goes to the Supreme Court and then it's sort of, they they exhaust all their appeals and then it just sort of sits there. Like, why did she win the Peabody for that? I don't know. That's a shocker. Should she return it, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, show a little bit of integrity. But, I, you know, I think that uh, a lot of these, look at uh, Berlinger or some of these other people who involve themselves in, in true crime cases and just just scramble it up like an egg, you know, scramble it in a blender. And next thing you know, people have no idea what really happened. But I do think that the uh, Supreme Court of Maryland really knocked it out of the park when they, you know, assessed all the case information and everything like that. I think that people take the time and read that decision. I think they'll be totally convinced that Adnan Syed killed his girlfriend or his ex-girlfriend. That was, and that was a close decision, wasn't it? Five four. I think, but yeah, I think that the dissent was. I think there were some differences in the dissent. 
I forgot what the issue was. I got to go back and look at it. Yeah, but it was fairly close. But it wasn't over his innocence. It's whether, you know. Yeah. No, it was something else. It was some technicality. Yeah. I believe it was whether the phone records should have been heard or this or Asia McLean. That's or right. Whatever. There was something that wasn't heard that they were interested in rehearing at the lower court. That was something like that. I got to remember that. But yeah, I mean, you've seen so many of these cases. Ranieri is just one in a long line. And uh, this is an interesting little move by their little maneuver. So uh, obviously it's tailored towards getting the public riled up and uh, try to be sympathetic for a guy who was really a pedophile. I mean, he had a relationship with a 15-year-old girl, right? Right. And, you know, <laughs> the, one of the things I thought when I was reading early on about Keith Ranieri and he's very interested in Scientology. And he also had a very conspiratorial mindset. And I thought, oh, this guy has to have, you know, had an interest in Aleister Crowley and or read your book. And I found out uh, from Tony Natale that he had read Aleister Crowley. Now, does any of his um, outlook have any kind of connection to Aleister Crowley, you think? or Who, Rainier? Yeah, behavior. I mean, I wouldn't say it overlaps. I mean, as a cult leader, I think for sure. And the whole idea of like the grading system and also kind of um, his his approach to other people, his slave shall serve. But I haven't come across anything overt that would show that Ranieri was really kind of into the... I mean, I think he had weird... Nicknames, didn't he? Didn't he have like slave master or dungeon master or something? He was Vanguard. He was Vanguard, the yeah. Vanguard. And he also had taught a, a system uh, called the fall where he reversed things. He would say that doing bad things made you feel very good and doing good things made you feel really bad. And he was, you know, to me, that seems like a reverse satanic reversal. Am I wrong in, in thinking no, that? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. That's actually kind of like, uh, I think it goes back to like the Frankists who are like, you're supposed to sin grievously to obtain virtue or whatever, or bring on the end of the world. So I, I don't really know that the totality of Ranieri's kind of, I know his influence is from Scientology, but I don't know his real world worldview. Like if you look past Hubbard, total Crowley follower, like loved Crowley, thought he was the one who came after Crowley. But as far as Ranieri, I'm not too sure. Well, Ranieri really worships himself. And he does, <laughs> you know, and that, I mean, I guess that's the ultimate Satanism, right? Even when he steals things, he sort of pretends he invented them. So this is so much like Scientology, always attack, yeah. never defend. And um, who's funding this? Whose money Good are question. we talking about here? Who has right. $35,000 to just throw at some... And and also thirty five thousand dollars, but they also want to get judges. So they're talking about Marty Tankliff as a judge. I don't know who else. The Ash, some Ashley person. I don't know who that. I couldn't identify Ashley out of all the other Ashleys in the world. Um, there weren't any identifying Marty, the wrongfully convicted lawyer, is pretty clear to me. Unless there's another wrongfully convicted lawyer out there, that clear, pretty clear. They're talking about Marty Tankliff. So who's funding this? It has to be, I mean, if I had to guess, it would have to be. And who's funding all these people to go around and do all this? Make a documentary, dance, work on these affidavits. Um, it has to, it, 
you would think it would have be Claire or Bronfman since all her supporting documents, her letters of reference, personal reference came from Nexium mem- members. Wow, interesting. And you said she's being sentenced this week? This week at 11. I will be there bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I mean, don't you think that the real story is even worse than what we know? Because when I talked to Parlato, there were two mysterious deaths, right? There's right. one in Alaska. There was another one in New York that we know about. Same thing as Dianetics or as Scientology. A lot of dead bodies popping up all over the place. And, uh, you know, they're probably trying to kind of whitewash all of the actions of uh, Nexium and Ranieri. But it seems like they were very clever and very savvy, internationally savvy. So I wonder, you know, I, I'm starting to wonder about the vow. Who funded the vow? Why is it so pro-Nexium? I know his wife, the filmmaker's wife, took uh, ESP courses. Why it's so pro-Nexium? Why this, were they so inspired by Wild Wild Country to look like they were showing both sides and they were being really skeptical and honest? But it's really a, a rosy view of Nexium. It's interesting, yeah. I mean, I've kind of felt the same way looking at Berlinger's take on uh, Epstein. They didn't really get as deep. They just made him kind of a sexual predator, but they didn't get all of the other darker stuff that he was up to, which not a lot of people know about, but they neglected his how much he was ingrained into entertainment and intelligentsia culture, you know? I I felt like that that take on Epstein on Netflix was a limited hangout. Like, they really didn't get into the darker aspects of him. Right. I felt the same way and the way it was filmed. And and I keep thinking about Epstein um, because of um, capturing the Freemans, that documentarian. He was friends yes, with yes. Epstein and his father was friends with Epstein. So here's a guy who made a documentary that leaves out an entire other defendant who pled guilty. They all pled guilty in that sexual abuse case of children. And he's making, he's, and then he goes to bat for years to, to vindicate and exonerate Jesse Friedman. What's going on? What's going on there? Right? Good question. Right. Why are, why are all of these kind of documentaries getting green lit? Why are they just kind of telling half a story? I don't know. Some very good questions. I mean, Berlinger, we know that his past is, uh, I mean, in my opinion, very questionable. Especially the West Memphis Three, also his work on, he did a documentary for that whole crude um, uh, litigation that took place in South America that eventually was, I think, kicked out of court because of fraud. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember correctly. So he was involved in that. But um, yeah. And did you also say, I'm sorry, I don't know if I heard you say he was also really did that love letter to Robbins, yes. Tony Robbins. Oh, did he do the the Tony Robbins one? Who's also a supporter of Eccles? Didn't Robbins write a book for uh, blurb yes. for Eccles? Yes, and it's uh, and and he uses neuro linguistic programming, and he also has been accused Me Too'd more times. And then right. he, he got Marty Singer, his lawyer, to erase all the negative stuff about him from the internet of all these women who've been sexually harassed wow. or abused by him off the internet. And then it came back up by BuzzFeed and then dead silence, nothing. Well, he got one of the best attorneys. I mean, that was the same one that uh, Bezos got with Singer was one of his, once his 
illicit relationship with that woman and all kind of, you know, the, the compromising pictures were out there and stuff like that. They never made it to the public. So those guys were, I mean, they put a lockdown on that whole Bezos thing. So Singer is a known go-to guy for problems. But did you know that Tony Robbins is just a front man for another guy's idea? He's basically just, he never came up with that whole system. Oh, right. You were telling me that. Yes. Do you know who the... So he's just, I have to go back and look at that information, but he was basic. My understanding, I got to go back and check, is that he was deliberately hired to be the kind of entertainment, you know, front for the system. So, and I also, I had a really, I went to one of these things like 25 years ago, but the guy was doing like a self-help thing and did this. He was hitting on the women doing his presentation. So he would walk up to women. He had caught his eye and <laughs> talk to them directly. It was amazing. And everybody watched it. And I was like, this guy's probably doing this all over the country. Was that Tony Robbins or someone else? No, it was some, when I lived in Northern California in the Bay Area, but I, got, I wish I could remember. It was something somebody brought me to, and I just really observed it objectively. Like, I wasn't really interested in the subject, but it had to do with, like, self-help. And, um, Dr. Phil has the same story. He worked, had stole a woman's whole shtick and ideas, too. Oh, so, really? Interesting. Yeah. Really. Yeah, not, that doesn't surprise me at all. It does not surprise me at all. Well, Ranieri, you could probably put him in the same context. He just took Hubbard's shtick and, and, you know, put some new names on it, but it's basically the same thing. Yeah, but, I mean, oh. <laughs> how it got, I mean, they were looking to take over Mexico and maybe would have. Yeah. Yeah, they had very, yeah, they were very, they had very um, ambitious goals. Yeah, well, Nikki Klein was the one who was on this website. Uh, about five hours ago, and it's no longer there. But this is just like a line I'd like to read from the sentencing sure. guideline, where he says, Ranieri writes to her fairly recently, November 7th, 2019, quote, I believe the soror sorority is good, not just good, but even noble, but great and vitally important for women and humanity. It is tragic the current organization has been stymied by a few envious men abusing position of power in government, media, and film. Some who, women who didn't live up to their sacred honor and vows. That's actually a very occult term, the sacred honor idea. Um, so that, that's a, like a that's a tell right there. And people in general who just feel threatened by this idea. What a wonderful man supporting women's rights to be slaves. Yes. Yeah, get this one. The missing part of our society found in a secret group of women like this aches to be embraced. <laughs> or he aches to be embraced and more. Yeah, I mean, these are... <laughs> Yeah, these are people who got like it was like S and M bondage, and they got branded, right? And weren't told that. And this and this is so perfect because every organization that they start never says who they are, what they're about, or or and that's very close to the wrongful conviction movement. They never give you the full story of what really happened in the trial. They never want to give you the documents. They'll say they passed a lie detector, many lie detectors tests. And we'll never give you, never show it to you. So you have right, to take their, point. you know, very much, they rewrite the story through documentaries, through through gullible and lazy journalists, same kind of stuff. The public should be really concerned. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of irresponsible journalism out there. People who just don't go and look at the documents. They're just trying to write a simple, you know, I got to put out a 750 word 
missive, you know, I got a deadline. Let's just put this out. Well, we're just so also over, I mean, they have the resources that something like, you know, innocence projects have just the money and the interns and the endless money to pay for the documents, getting the transcripts and all that stuff. I mean, to have, to have one person review all their cases that they're doing in every state, all the different, you know, you just couldn't fact check them all. You just couldn't without some kind of counter organization and volunteers. Yeah, there should, that's a great idea. Actually, we should start something called the guilt project, (laughs) affirming court court (laughs) mechanics and prosecution and conviction of known criminals. (laughs) But that's the thing. It's so American. I was saying to my boyfriend today, like, you know, you don't want to be the person, you know, whenever one of these criminals gets out, you see them getting out of prison and hugging their family members. What do you want to be the person on the sideline? That's so American. They're getting their freedom back, their time back, their freedom, you know, what are you going to be the person on the sideline saying, put them back in? You know, that, that that's going to go over well. That's going to be a good no. PR move. No. no, go back in. You're guilty. Right? So true. So true. I mean, I can say attest to you from personal experience. Nobody wants to listen. Not, not many. So what's going on with, I mean, what do you think the West Memphis Three case taught you, really? Oh, it taught me a lot. It taught me tons that people there people will definitely you know they're looking at facts based upon a prism of their understanding of the world world and they will will either unconsciously or consciously omit details that don't fit into their world worldview so I don't believe Satanism exists therefore I'm not going to look at any of this this has nothing to do with the case so you can see that taken out you can see in the West Memphis through the power of PR you can see how potent it is if it's used correctly and has a lot of money behind it, it really can affect in-court statements, in-court events. Really, the West Memphis Three should never have been overturned. They never should have been let out of jail, in my opinion. And uh, I think it's also just goes back to your statement and, and the theme is that the journalists, are, for one reason or not, another, are lazy or obtuse, really just not that bright, that they can be easily deceived. I mean, in so many of those interviews with Eccles, you just can tell they haven't done their homework at all. Maybe a few contradictory questions, but like they're just letting them PR and propagandize them to their face about, you know, magical turtles who came in and did all kinds of crime and stuff. So um, they taught me a lot. I mean, those are just a few points, but the West Memphis Three also... Uh, also about the mob, really the the kind of crazed, deranged, hysterical mob that will come after you and literally would burn you at the stake if they could at the time, if the time you know, if it was the 17th century for being a, a deceiver or something, um, even when you're trying to tell them the truth. So I do think that that West West Street taught me very much. And it's very, it's not really that popular to be a person who says, whoa, whoa. This the, the prevailing understanding of this case is not correct. All right, this is my other question. Do you think the Innocence Project has such a good name just because they're called the Innocence Project? Because to oppose them would be to be against innocence, right? Right, good point. I mean, that's incredible. So you have this entire organization with people talking on Joe Rogan, you know, getting their information out, probably non-profit, raising tons of money from well-meaning people. Um, really kind of moving against the 
the system of law and the system that we use to ascertain whether somebody's broke the law and whether they should be convicted and punished. So it's really, it's a very pernicious, uh, pernicious kind of system, uh, like uh, groups and systems, this whole innocence fraud that you called out is really remarkable and very, very pernicious societally. And also we're seeing the other side of it, which is a war on the police. Right. Well, don't you think that's part of this is part of it? Right. Ranieri's calling out the police had nothing to do with Ranieri investigating Ranieri. Almost nothing to do with this case. But they still want to, you know, investigate the police. Police the police. Police the police. They want to police the police. God help us. Worst people on earth to police the police. (laughs) But that's like their slogans, right? So you've got the sloganeering that's easily digested. And I think it's, it's actually a very serious issue because it does erode the public faith in these institutions that have been built up over time to make sure that the justice really is done, you know? So I think the Constitution provides so many different rules and so many insights into the criminal uh, system that it's just remarkable that people would want to erode that. They could go in and reform it, but just to have these people saying the whole system's a fake and a fraud, you know? Well, they want to put in district attorneys that really don't prosecute like uh, did you see damien eccles was having a zoom uh meeting with lonnie surrey and a da that's running in new york so this is damien eccles and his wife are promoting this da well now i know who i'm not going to vote for so this is a really scary i called this i said this is the next wave of this is is going through the DAs and having these DAs um like uh Chesa Boudin and or I'm I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce his name correctly yeah, no, in San Francisco. Yes. Um I always forget his name in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, yay for me. And uh Chicago. Fox, Kimberly Fox, Chicago. So those are the kind of prosecutors those ones they they want the this movement once and they will fund their campaigns. It's wrongful conviction movement. They will fund their campaigns and get in their people. It's incredible that Knox and Axels are so brazen that they think they can offer insights into who should be running the criminal justice systems off the charts. <laughs> so and they incredible. all like hanging around each other too, right? If you were really right. wrongfully convicted, wouldn't you sort of raise an eyebrow, check people out? They just, they will support each other. Anyone in there, you know, it's really scary. No, it's incredible. Like, I would, like, want to stay away from them. Like, John Douglas is hanging out with them still. I mean, it's just incredible. That's one other thing. Can I, I talk to you, uh, can yes. I ask you about experts, what you've learned yeah. about experts like John Douglas, Ofshi, uh, Dr. Richard Ofshi. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting Spitz, some what, names. Warner Spitz. Or Warner Spitz. People come in and out of these cases, same different cases, but on the same side, always on the defense side. Right. Well, I don't trust any of them that are willing to do that. I honestly, just personally, they're allowed to do that to provide expert advice to either the prosecution or the defense. But um, some of those names, I just wouldn't trust at all. <laughs> the ones that you named. I do still have a lot of respect for Cyril Wecht, who I think it, almost every analysis of his cases, criminal cases, I found uh, to be correct. So as an expert, totally respect that guy much he's much more than i am i guess a doctorate in law and medicine so 
Um, so I think that just because you're an expert doesn't mean you have integrity or uh, that, you know, you, you're not working for money. So, um, yeah. So what's your opinion? What do you think about in-court experts? I'm just amazed that the same figures come in and out of this different cases. How entwined this the wrongful conviction world is and how it how incestuous that's what's yeah. really surprised me from one thing to another and, and when something really terrible happens they don't disavow it like you would think that in chicago with something as public as uh the anthony porter all story simon when something happens like that where an innocent man is forced to what they know is a a, a uh, you know, inaccurate confession, a real uh, wrongful confession that they don't they 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 don't say anything. They just move to a different innocence project, the main characters, and continue on. So they talk about all these system systemic problems and how these bad guys have to be rooted out of our system, but there's no sort of self reflection on their own community. Good Everything point. in their own community is fantastic and perfect and wonderful and they just give talking points to the people and that's why celebrities are so perfect for the innocence project they just say the case went this way well celebrities not gonna you know especially an actress or an actor they don't have time to read court documents no way no <laughs> i mean the, the, do you know that the Eccles and knox are both on some like speakers website and they offer their um lectures for like 10 to 20k a pop wow yeah. Yeah, American and and Knox has a full agent too. Yeah. And then they say that same agency represents podcasters, but they won't say whom, which I find very interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that. It's like very interesting that podcasts always want to be presented as like homegrown, and they just became all popular by themselves, and they didn't have any help. They didn't. They just made it to a bigger platform because they were so great, and they weren't, you know, promoted or pushed because of their worldview. Speaking of podcasts, Eccles was just on the Gramerica podcast, and uh, yeah, they just let him talk about magic and his books and stuff like that. They, yeah, how did that end with it? You going back and forth with those guys? I think they said that they used some funny term. I can't remember it offhand, but I think we we investigated this case sufficiently, or we're familiar with the case. Familiar, that that familiar. Yeah, they used the term familiar. Yeah. So I, familiar is all it took, I guess. <laughs> How familiar do you have to be? That's crazy. That's a great word, familiar. We're familiar yeah, with familiar. the case. Yeah. Not like we know it back and forth. We're familiar. Well, I know, I know that case. How? What is familiar exactly? Is that like, oh, I'm familiar with my neighbor. I met him a couple times. What is familiar exactly? How familiar? Familiar enough to not know enough about it, I guess. I, but yeah, that you know that Eccles was on Netflix too. Like that's kind of a huge for me, a huge scandal that nobody really wants to talk about. And he seems to be networked in with certain influential segments of the podcast community. Yeah. So and they won't they won't ever critique critique or investigate really what he uh, what he really did based on the court records, which are readily available. So all these people, like it's incredible. I've heard a mention of Rogan, and the guy's name is Duncan Trussell. They just let him on their show, talk. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, Rogan mentioned him, the number one podcast in the world, probably. Right. 
And he had Jason Flom on and another gentleman from another innocence organization on, both of them on together. Just, you know, talking about cases but not naming them. I knew a few of what they were talking about, but of course, incorrectly presenting cases for what they were about. Like they, They went to the one that Kim Kardashian talked about, the Kevin Cooper case. And said, oh, Camilla Harris is horrible because she refused to have the DNA tested. Well, yes, she did. But it eventually, Jerry Brown said, okay. And when it was tested, stuff that had nothing to do with the crime, handpicked by the defense. This is such a rarity that this happened. You know, because this is usually a home run for the wrongfully convicted side. They have things tested that have nothing to do with a crime that probably have some old DNA on it. that You know, hasn't been touched in a million years or a thumbprint. Everything on it came back with Cooper's DNA on it. And now it's wow. a big conspiracy because the police right. planted it OJ style. And Kim Kardashian is pushing that. It's this horrible, wrongful, you know, I'm not a big fan of either of the, you know, either parties. But to say Camilla, to go after Camilla Harris on that, there's a lot of other things you can go after about, but not the Kevin Cooper case. She was actually right on that, right. did the right thing on that. So. Well, I got you know I got to give you credit, Roberta, because you really of all the people that I've seen, I try to have wide ranging, you know, taste and in information. But you were the first one to really kind of for me to key into the whole innocence fraud movement on so many of these cases. So I commend you for that. Thank you, and your book had a lot to do with it. So it goes right back to you. The West Memphis wow. Three is the beginning of it. You know, you see it. You see the patterns, the same players, the same stuff, the same techniques used. And it goes again and again. I And people ask me, well, why don't you do, why don't you talk about an innocent person? First of all, it's very rare. I probably will one of these days. But my interest is this movement. That is my interest, this movement. That's what I'm interested in. You even mentioned like in the Syed case, it was Chaudhry or whatever said, we're going to do to this case what the West Memphis Three did, right? Or Inspired something like that. by it. She watched West it, right? of yeah, Memphis maybe. and said, we're going to do this on radio. And she almost did. She almost got away with it. And she tried to, and the interesting thing in that case is she really wanted to hold on to the transcripts. And that should be a red flag for anyone in my audience. They want to hold on to the transcripts. They don't. And I'm not talking about one court document, just like the defense's response to the state or something. The entire court documents where the person was convicted, when they're holding on to them and they don't want you to read them, when they only want to cut them up in parts and release little line by line here and there, that should be a red flag. Agreed. You know, I just I just feel like. It's like uh, Groundhog Day where the same thing pops up. That's what these documents that Ranieri and Co. and, you know, Nikki Klein and whoever uh, just dropped two days ago. It just seems like it's the same thing all over again. So in a lot of ways, just studying these innocence fraud is very helpful because you, you're just seeing the same, you know, game plan. So thank you. I'm glad you reached out to me about these documents. Yeah, I love I love talking to you anytime, yeah. anytime about any of this. So, what what are you working on now? Oh, I've got a couple things. I've just kind of been digging around, but uh, I've got some really good interviews coming up. And uh, my my podcast is I'm actually very popular in Iceland. I hit 104th <laughs> in society and culture, which is probably means I had like 15 listeners or something. I don't really know. That's but, exciting. Yeah, so I actually registered. I actually, my podcast at one point was, 
like top 700 in the U.S., which is a pretty big, you know, pretty big market. So, but I, I don't, I don't even know. It's still hard to do to get any like with the help that we get from YouTube, and yeah. not you don't want to complain about it, but you know, when you're buried all the time demonetize i'm i haven't been de- yeah. i didn't even try to get monetized but you know you've been demonetized buried thrown out of the yeah. algorithm yes so. yeah brutal well that was that was the reason why i kind of got the podcast going was because i had to get away from youtube so i'm trying to be more of a broadcaster as opposed to podcaster okay sounds good all right thanks all right. so much i appreciate this uh, it, it was great great to talk with you okay thanks all right.